Not because you're mourning, but really because he sees you. Because his favor is to rest on you. And for me, this one's really significant. Um, when my dad got sick, my younger brother was in high school. And he was in the church, and he was in the worship team. He, he played bass guitar every week. He was one of the leaders in the youth ministry. And then his dad got sick, and Brian was like, i, I got to step back. And the church didn't know what to do. And so the church just quit talking to him. And the worship team just kind of quit talking to him. And the youth group just quit talking to him. And then he kind of quit coming. And here we are like 18 years later. And there's a pretty big chasm between my brother and the church. And he imagines that the chasm between him and Jesus is just as big. Because we didn't know what to do. But when Jesus sees you mourning, not just death, but tragedy or anything like that, when he sees you mourning, he steps near you. And so for us, even if we're not in a stage of mourning right now, this is an opportunity for us. The second thing I want us to think about through this series is we can see ourselves and our neighbor in God's message among us. We can see this differently. It's an invitation to see this different. And so... We're going to look at, at Matthew 5, verse 4, okay? Everybody excited to talk about grieving in the morning? Just had an emotional worship set. Now let's go talk about death. Boom. Here's what Matthew says. Thanks for thinking I'm funny, George. You're great. You and Anna. Just... Jesus says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think often in our culture, we're, we're really bad at mourning. Just U.S. culture I'm talking about. Some of us have the privilege of having other cultures in our upbringing as well, and so that might inform us a little bit. We're really bad at mourning. We're much more like, isn't that nice for them? Let's move on. Let's outrun this. But it doesn't work like that. And so really, what is mourning? Well, mourning is the expression of grief. That's what it is. We grieve all the time. I don't know if you know this, but every change, your body grieves it. Every single change. Our, our kids are getting older and getting to the stages where they're like moving to college and they're thinking about after they live with us and all of this. And though I'm excited because I have a couple more free minutes and I act like that's just what I want, there's grief there. They're not tiny anymore. I'm not needed in the way that I thought that I once was. There's grief there. It's a good thing, but there's grief. Any change, there's grief. And your body knows it. You might not, but your body knows it. And your body shows it and acts like that's true. And so mourning is the outward expression when, like, you agree that, like, oh, yeah, I've got some grieving to do. In biblical times, they, particularly they grieved death and they grieved national calamity. And I would say those are the only times where we give ourselves permission for, like, 12 seconds to grieve. We come to, like, a funeral and we'll, we'll grieve momentarily 
We might even mourn where we let other people know. That's why often we wear black to a, a funeral is that was traditionally mourning clothes. And so you wear black as a means of showing that I'm mourning. We give ourselves moments to grieve there when there's like weather that kills people or destruction like that or in a destructive act, something that affects us on a national level. There's, there's a moment of mourning that we give ourselves. But our grief is backed up. It is backed up. Our, here's how I know that this is true. I absolutely loved watching Kobe Bryant play basketball, but I never met him. But when he, when he died, super tragic, because I feel like I grew up with him. We're similar age and all of that. And when he died, I, I felt fragile. And all of a sudden, I missed like 20 people that I haven't talked to or thought about in a while. Because we had watched a game together. I missed my dad because we would fight about him. I missed all of this stuff, all this backed up grief, all this change that has happened that I haven't processed or laid before God. I felt it all. And so then when I found the tragic news that Kobe had died, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it, it took me a couple days to even feel Kobe kind of. I felt just all of this other stuff. When my own dad died, I remember it took like six months before I was ready to let go of my dad because I was just letting go of everything that had happened before my dad. Does that make some sense? We are not meant to live with backed up grief and mourning. There's an invitation to mourn in real time. And this is something that, that Jesus has for us. Jacques Philippe says that the second beatitude is a presence of consolation for the afflicted. We're promised that we will be consoled. But that's part of the problem here. We don't want to be seen as afflicted. We don't want to feel the affliction. We don't want to feel sadness. I'd rather turn on the TV. I'd rather run just a bit faster than it. But our body leaks this stored up grief. It leaks it. It catches up to us. This summer, I went and saw my mom, and and I was driving her. her, I flew up to see her, but then when I'm with her, she doesn't like to drive. She drives all the time, but then when I'm there, she doesn't know how anymore. So I drive her car, which is fine with me, but I think she just wants a chauffeur. And we went and visited an aunt of mine who lives just north of my mom, and and we're visiting, and it's a pleasant little time that we go over for, like, a cup of coffee, and we end up staying past lunch, and it's, like, chronically long, but kind of nice, and I'm still like, wow, we're here a while. You know those family meetings? There was one of those. And then we found out that there was, there was weather coming. And Minneapolis is a little bit like Louisville, where just weather hits, and weather is what it wants to be. And they're like, oh, here's one of those storms. It's coming. I check radar on my phone because I'm a meteorologist, and I look, and it looks like the weather, whatever it is, is like five miles west of us, and I'm extremely intelligent, so I know that it's eventually going east, and they say that the wind is like 15 miles an hour. I was like, Mom, we should go. We can beat this. 
And she's like, really, really? And yeah, yeah, we should go. And we did the really fast Norwegian goodbye, which is like, see you. And then we head in the car. And we drive to my mom's. I'm thinking she lives east, but she lives south, which doesn't help you at all. So we drive south, and I can't outrun the storm. And there are cars parked under all the overpasses and all this. And I'm like, they're crazy. And my mom's like, I really like my car. And I'm like, I bet you do. Your house is only two miles away. And she's like, Matt, are you still comfortable? Can you still see? And like, I can see fine. Let's just go. And she's like, there's another overpass coming. And I said, I bet. I bet there is. But you have a garage. And after I heard the dents on the car, I stopped under an overpass. Because this hail, hail is never actually the size that you say it is. I'm going to pretend it was watermelons. It was probably a little bit smaller than that. But giant hunks that sounded like they were going to rip through the ceiling of my mom's little Honda were hitting the car. I could not hear her kindly say that she doesn't want me to damage her car anymore. So I pulled under this overpass and we sat for like 20 more minutes as just piles of hail came. I left her in the car. I nearly locked her in so that I could check the damage. And it was. (laughs) And then the weather stopped, and I pulled into her dark garage, and that's where I let her look. But I was just determined to outrun this thing. I'm going to get, I I can do it. I know that I can. And if, if the hailstorm is moving at, you know, 15 miles an hour, then I just have to go 20. That's all I have to do. And I think often that is us with grief. If grief is moving 20 miles an hour, then I'm going to learn to live at 30. Just past it. And if sleeping slows me down, then I'm not going to sleep. And if being still slows me down, I'm not going to be still. And if being by myself slows me down, I'm not going to be by myself. Like we learn how to like try to go just past the speed of grief, but our body leaks that we can't do it. And so we're like, I'm doing absolutely fine. And everybody else can tell that something is up. Except us. Until we go into this invitation of mourning. Which is really public grief. It's where we're not hiding it any longer. So this week, actually this last two weeks, I was trying to think, why are we so resistant to grief? Because I don't think it's just me. Why are we so resistant to grief? And the, the first thing has to do with vulnerability, I think. I think we resist mourning because it reveals our vulnerability. And we don't want to be, right? I don't want to be vulnerable. My dad taught me that men should never be vulnerable. We should just sit in our boats in the garage because that's what men do. <laughs> but every time that I feel mourning, every time that I am aware that my body is grieving, every time I make it aware to someone else that I'm grieving, when I'm mourning, I feel vulnerable. Here's here's what's interesting. This divine consolation that we get, that's kind of the promise, right? That you'll be comforted. This divine consolation 
it doesn't come as an end to suffering. It doesn't come as an end to death and all these things. It comes through that. We get comforted by Jesus who knows death, who knows pain, who knows loneliness and abandonment. He's gone through that and sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforting, our comforter. And so we're told, like, you can mourn. Blessed are those who are mourning. As the people are gathered around Jesus, he says, hey, I see you, those whose grief is so legit that you can't hide it anymore, and you are publicly mourning. Blessed are you. He sees us. But we're afraid because it makes us feel vulnerable. It's not just that it makes us feel vulnerable. It feels unending. Doesn't it? When you're looking at the idea of having to grieve something, you're like, whew, I don't have time for that. I don't know if, if there's a bottom to this thing. Grief feels like the rabbit hole that only like four people have fallen down and made it. And we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of what's going to follow, and we don't realize that mourning does not define us. It might be a chapter in your book, but it will not define you. It will transform you. And those are two very different things. But that rabbit hole, I get it. Once you step into a moment of noticing your grief or feeling this mourning, it feels like it doesn't end. I imagine it feels like, like you're just drowning. I've never drowned. But I imagine that that's kind of the feeling, right? So my family did this vacation to Jellystone Park. Your family may have gone to Yellowstone Park that looks like this. I think we have a picture. That's Yellowstone. Very cool stories happen at Yellowstone Park. There are near-death experiences that happen. There are bears at Yellowstone National Park. My family goes to Jellystone Park, which looks like this. Very different. There are bears. There are bears at Jellystone Park, and there are near-death experiences, but you don't talk about those because those are usually your own fault. I had one of those near-death experiences. I was, like, really young. Let's say that I was five so that I feel better about myself. I don't know how old I was, I'm just going to tell you how I remember it. My family might remember it different, but I will tell you that this is the day that I learned that people who paint pools are semi-mean. Because you could pick any color to paint a pool that you want. You could paint a pool to look like the bottom of something, but people don't do that. So little Maddie gets on this really terrifying, and I mean, you have to be brave to go on this, Let's pretend it's like 75 feet because we don't have a picture. But this water slide that's twisty and turning, you have no clue where you are at the end of this. And I make it all the way down this water slide, fall into the water, and I swim as hard as I can to the top of the water, but I can never get there. And I'm swimming as hard and as fast as I can to the light blue because that's what the sky looks like, except these silly people who paint the pools light blue are tricking Dizzy Matt. And I'm giving it everything that I have 
to get to the sky, and then I touch the sky, and it hurts, and I am certain that I'm going to die. And then my uncle reaches in, and he pulls me by the leg like you're pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And he picks me up because I'm so strong. He picks me up like I'm a little rabbit, turns me over, and stands me on my feet waist deep (laughs) in my death pool. I am not a good swimmer, (laughs) but they still shouldn't paint pools blue. Paint like sharks down there, and we'll know to swim the other way. It was terrifying. I'm telling you, if you were me, you would have been terrified too. One of the things I'm learning about mourning is it's a whole lot like that. If you are mourning today, it is dizzy. And it feels like it will never end. And it feels like you are going the wrong way and all of that. But one of the things that I know is that there is an end. And it will transform you and But in it, just when you feel like you can't take another breath, Jesus does reach in, turn you around, stand you on that pool. And here's what I know. Before the process, that water was too deep. Let's see if this makes some sense. Before you went through the process of mourning, that water is way too deep for you. But when you're transformed and made new in Christ, he stands you up and it's only to your waist. You are different. And all of a sudden, those next to you, you can mourn alongside of them. In that next season, you can mourn it in real time because you don't have to be afraid. You know that though the bottom of that pool is blue, he'll stand you up. And you'll be okay. But I don't want to cheapen the experience. I don't want to... If you are mourning right now, I I get it. And I want you to know blessed are you. It doesn't feel blessed, but let's make sure we know what blessed means, right? Blessed means he's with you. He's with you. You're not alone in this. And so it's safe. You can mourn. The third thing that I think is equally big is we just... We don't know how. We don't know how to mourn. We resist mourning because we don't even know how to begin it. I'll tell you one of the things that I know we need to do is mourn together, but not just mourn together. Because if if you come and mourn next to me and that's all that we do, then I'm offering you all the comfort that I have, which I might as well just give you like a Snickers bar. I don't, on my own, I don't have much to offer you. And so we mourn together towards Christ. That's how we do it. Right beside one another towards Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, to heal, restore, redeem. Paul says this in, in Romans 12. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. When somebody's celebrating, we need to celebrate One of our neighbors, P, came in yesterday. He had some chili, and he said, I got a job. And he's been looking for a job for a while, but he got a job, and the room got excited with him. We need to rejoice with one another. But then Paul says, but weep with those who weep. 
When somebody is mourning next to you, don't run away like they're contagious. Don't. They don't need that. That's what they're afraid of. That's why we go into that unfelt grief thing, because we're afraid we're just going to drive everyone away. But if you read through Paul's letters, he actually doesn't really sit in it. He mourns with people. He weeps with people. But he's not ever overly sorry. He's looking towards that moment that they're stood up in the pool. He says, I'm going to mourn with you, feel this with you. We are suffering, sharing my suffering, I'll share in your suffering. But I know that this isn't the end. This will not define us. This might take two months longer than we want it to, but it does not define us. There's a brand new you on the other side of this. And so how do we do it? We mourn together towards Jesus. Practically, one of the things that I've learned to do, my dad died 15 years ago, is I hold grieving parties. Sounds like the worst thing in the world. All it is is we eat some of my dad's favorite foods, and anybody's welcome, and it's permissible to mourn, because it's not always safe to mourn, right? It doesn't have to be sad. If somebody's sad, I'm going to be sad with you. If I'm sad, I feel permit because I threw it. So I feel, I feel permission to feel sad. We need to have these like every Christmas season. Because if you look around our culture, there's a lot of people grieving every Christmas. They don't necessarily mourn because they don't let it catch up in their body. But we need to have times where it's okay. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, but there's also a lot, a lot that it's time to mourn. And give people the time to do that. People's bodies feel times where I feel the day that my dad died. I, you don't have to tell me the calendar. My body feels it. When we get near July 11th, I feel it. And five, eight years ago, I felt it from like June to August, like through three months. And now kind of that week I'm in a funk. And that day I probably don't want to talk to you. You can send me a text. But we feel this kind of thing. But it's not nearly as crippling. It doesn't have to be. And in the middle of it, God is with us. So how do we do it? We, we do it together. And we find out what works for us. Some people take to art, to, to music, to writing. Some people just tell stories. There's a lot of stories that help people mourn. But Jesus says we're blessed as we do it. Now Dallas Willard writes that, that there is no human condition that excludes blessedness, and this includes mourning, and, and yet we're still like, okay, wh wh why am I going through all of this? Why would I want to? I get that it's okay to be vulnerable, that there is an end, I get even how, but why is it worth going through this? What does it look like for mourners be blessed. Well, we talked two weeks ago how blessed means that you have access to God and that there's actually joy for those who are blessed. And Jesus knows this and looks at people who are mourning and says, blessed are you who are mourning. Not be, and this is important, not just because like you're blessed, blessed are you because you could think about good things in your life. 
Not any of those kind of things. He says, blessed are you who are mourning because you will be comforted. That's a pretty good promise right there. You're blessed. You have access to me and you will be comforted. There's another time where Jesus is talking and, and he gathers some people together. And in Luke, some scholars think it's the same time recorded differently. I actually, I'm not a scholar, but I think it's two different times. He looks at his disciples and in verse 21 of Luke 6, he said, blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. I think it's a promise to us. Blessed, you have access to God. I see you, child. And I see that you are mourning. Let me tell you how the kingdom works within you. You will laugh again. And this isn't like one of those like, <laughs> kind of cry laughs. This is like a belly laugh, like a real laugh, like where you feel like you were doing sit-ups and you count it as exercise. That kind of laugh. <laughs> Blessed are you. Because your stomach will hurt. Because you'll have the kind of joy that gives that kind of laughter. You will be comforted. I know we're afraid of grief. I know we're afraid of mourning. Maybe we don't have to be. And maybe the reason that we don't know joy and that we don't know like this healing is because we've just circled around grief for as long as we could. We still feel it too much. But every time we step into it, we're like, that's too much. Maybe if together pointed towards Jesus, we trust Jesus and we walk through this thing. And it might take, it might take a minute. But if we stick together and we trust that he says that we are blessed, maybe, just maybe, we would know some healing. And maybe this dark cloud would lift. And we'd have a story that, yes, there is loss and there is tragedy and all those things are real and we are different because of it but we are not defined by it we're defined by him and i don't mean that in like a cliche cheesy way i mean quite literally i think we can go through mourning and have joy again a different kind where we can stand tall in a way we never could before as we close this i'm i'm gonna pray but before I pray, I want to read two verses from the psalmist over us, okay? And we're going to need time to pray with each other and talk with each other and all this, because I know this is a real live thing for a lot of us. And I'm here, and there are people here. But I want to read these two verses over us, and I want to pray for us as, as we close. And so go ahead and... Go ahead and even close your eyes and, and let these words kind of wash over you. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. And those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy carrying their sheaves. Heavenly Father, there are a lot of tears that are sown here. And there's also a lot of tears that have been avoided. 
I know that we've tried to outrun grief and I know that we can't do it. So I thank you that you looked at your people who were mourning and you saw them and you let them know that you saw them and then you said, blessed are you who mourn. But also thank you that you didn't leave them in their mourning, but that you said that that blessing would look like comfort. So for those of us in the room who feel like we're drowning in grief, would you be our rescuer? Would you stand us on our feet again? Would you restore joy, like that belly laughing kind of joy where we know that we're different because of this, but where our life could be more than our loss? faithful you are. Thanks for how good you are. Thanks that our circumstances aren't bigger than your love. So great comforter, we ask you to work in this space. In your precious name.